You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Restaurateur and top chef judge Tom Calicchio joined the Washington Post to examine the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on restaurants and explained how the industry needs to adapt in order to survive. Let's listen. Wow. We're so delighted to welcome Tom Calicchio here today. Um, Not only well-known chef, owner of restaurants, but uh, a TV star too from the Bravo hit Top Chef. Um, You know, everybody knows what's going on in the crisis with restaurants. You know, we see it in every corner in every state in America. They're shuttered. And Tom, what what is going to happen? What what is your outlook about uh, restaurants? How many are going to survive? And when are they going to come back up? Yeah, you know, it's, this is a, a, a tough position that we're in right now. Thanks for having me on, Mary. Um, the James Beer Foundation did a, a, a survey, and only 20% of the respondents said that they would definitely reopen the restaurants. Uh, we're hearing stories every day of restaurants uh, and restaurants that have been around a long time that are closing their doors for good and, and, and shuttering. Um, you know, this is something that is very, very difficult to get through. Uh, when you're a chef, um, you know, uh, cash flow is pretty much, when you're a chef, when you're a restaurateur, when you're a restaurant, cash flow is pretty much everything. Um, when that cash flow stops, you can't pay your bills, you can't pay your employees, um, you end up getting behind on rent, and there's really no way out of it. Um, the PPP uh, uh, program, uh, even though Congress uh, extended it to 24 weeks as opposed to eight weeks, um, and they, they changed the split 60-40 from payroll uh, and rent, um, and they made it a little more flexible. They extended the loan portion of that out to five years as opposed to two years. Those were all really positive, but that's only going to get us halfway across the sort of the chasm. The, the bridge is only halfway built. Uh, we need a stabilization package um, that's going to actually, uh, you know, ingest a, a ton of capital into restaurants uh, so they can remain open. Um, and so uh, we have a shot at actually staying open. Um, right what do you now, need? Uh, what, what do restaurants need from from Washington? So the inter- yeah, so, so the Independent Restaurant Coalition is asking for $120 billion dollars uh, that goes to independent restaurants. Now, keep in mind, independent restaurants um, uh, employ 11 million people. Uh, indirectly, when you think about the fishermen, fi- uh, the fishermen, farmers, cheesemakers, winemakers, uh, the person who delivers the laundry, um, you know, it's probably another six million people. And so, uh, we, we contributed about a trillion dollars into the economy. And so, if there's a stimulus package out there that is designed to actually work, meaning that money goes through businesses and that money goes out. The restaurant industry is uniquely positioned to actually do that because 95 cents to 90 cents of every dollar that we take in goes out. And so we're asking for $120 billion, which is roughly uh, five months of, of um, four, four months, I'm sorry, four months of, of income replacement at about 75%. Um, and so that will give us the, ne- the necessary capital to actually get open, continue to, to get us through the slow period, and, and that'll give us a shot at staying open. Uh, you know, when we open our doors, we have to remove half our seats. Restaurants at half capacity will not thrive. Will not forget about thrive. It's, it's impossible to operate. Um, it doesn't make sense for restaurants to open their doors only to lose money. And so we're seeing that now that restaurants are are starting to open up. Plexiglass booths, half. I mean, and some some are doing it, and some are not. Um, Who's going to survive and who's not? I mean, is it just the bigger ones? I mean, as usual, it's just the people that can tell us how you see it kind of playing out for the summer. 
No, I, I think the key to staying open, number one, is we, we, we do need more support from the government. Um, uh, there's a bill uh, that, that Congressman Blumenauer uh, put out there. Um, uh, I believe he has support uh, um, from other members of Congress as well. Uh, Senator Wicker is working on a proposal as well. I think I believe he's working with uh, uh, Senator Booker on that. Um, and it's exactly what we're talking about, a stabilization package to get us through. But I think, so that, that that's important. Number two, I think the restaurants that are able to make a deal with their landlord, going to a smaller percentage rent, they'll have a shot at actually making it. Um, if we have to pay full rent and trying to open with maybe doing maybe 30% of the business that, that we were projecting to do, um, there is no way to stay open. There's no way that restaurants can make money. And I don't know how long uh, restaurants could, could actually uh, s sustain uh, losses. Now, take into consideration, we're going into the summer. Now, in New York, that's a slow period for, for restaurants in New York. But when you think of restaurants on the coast, uh, from, from Portland, Maine, to Portland, Oregon, to Virginia Beach, to uh, some of those restaurants where they make their entire year in the summer and they rely on tourism, uh, those restaurants are in serious, serious trouble. And so, so there's a... Isn't there, so, so both you and Jose Andres have restaurants in Las Vegas, is that right? And That's correct. You know, restaurants are more than huge employers. They're kind of a cultural, they're, they're the fabric of societies. It's, you know, are you worried actually about how, what the loss of restaurants mean to the, these communities and whole cities? Y yes, there's the cultural component of restaurants. They become anchored to the community. It's also really important if these restaurants start closing, we're talking about you know, areas that will become dark where there's no retail on the ground floor. They actually, uh, the crime rates will start going up. Um, you're going to see commercial rents drop. You're going to see, uh, 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 you know, stores going dark. Not only restaurants, but all, all sorts of retail. And so this is, an, again, another reason why the federal government should respond and actually make sure that we stay open or give us a shot at staying open. Because you're right, we, are, we have become culturally important. Uh, we're those, you know, Anchoring communities, we're the places where people go to celebrate, to have birthdays and anniversaries and, um, you know, celebrate graduation. And when those restaurants are gone, we're going to lose the fabric of, of, of sort of what makes us uh, sort of, you know, special. And also, we're not only talking about these big, fancy restaurants like mine. We're talking about the mom and pop restaurants. We're talking about the, the immigrant that has that recently naturalized and they take all their, all their life savings to open up a restaurant where mom and pop and sometimes the children are working in that restaurant. That's the restaurant that we need saved. We need to make sure that, that they're, that's the American dream. And people who come here because they want a better life for themselves, they actually got there and all of a sudden the rug is getting pulled out from under them for, for no fault of their own because of COVID. And, and so um, this is why we, we, we believe the government should respond because it's, 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 it's saving, again, not just, not just restaurants from a dollar and cents perspective, not only people that we employ, but culturally what's important and, and also saving, again, that American dream. I think those are all really important. A lot of people, you know, keep saying, when is it going to go back to normal for restaurants, thousands and thousands of restaurants? I mean, is it really we have to wait until everyone in America is vaccinated or we have we treatment? Have I, I believe it is. I, I believe we have to have a vaccine. Um, we need a vaccine. We need treatment. Um, no one is. See, the question isn't when we're going to open our doors. The question is, when is dining, when does the public feel comfortable going to a restaurant? Um, I'm in a little town in Long Island called Mattatuck. We have a, a one street downtown uh, called Love Lane, and there is a restaurant, and they're only open for outdoor seating. 
uh, there's a handful of people there. Uh, typically, this time of year, that place would be jammed up. Um, it, 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 and you see that people aren't comfortable. They're wearing masks. The waiters are in masks. I, I think people are going out because they're cooped up, but I think they're going to start feeling that they shouldn't be out. They shouldn't, they shouldn't be interacting. And we're starting to see a lot of places that opened up early, places like Georgia and Florida and Arizona, where we're starting to see a spike now. We're starting to see those numbers go up um, and, and more hospitalizations. And so I think people are going to start seeing that in news, and they're going to be a little more reticent to, to going out and, and, and into the public. And so that's working against us as well. We see that a lot of people are baking bread at home. They're planting you know, herbs in their garden. They're thinking more about food. They're you know stocking up. You know, in the long term, um, you know, is there something interesting that you're seeing about trends in American food because of COVID, especially because well, of the? I mean, what people are eating at home? Sure, sure. Um, there is a, a big move to breaking uh, sourdough. I, I started baking. It's funny. I started baking um, in uh, in the fall, and I'm not much of a baker. I started sort of working on sourdough. I bake now pretty much every other day. But it's amazing that people are actually. You realize that what's getting people through this is food. Um, people are, are they they want something that's comfortable. They're starting to bake bread because there is nothing is there's nothing more comforting than a, a hot loaf of bread slathered with butter and the idea that you made this for your family. Uh, victory gardens are popping up. I started gardening. I'm a, a dedicated gardener. In fact, I'm looking at my garden right now um, uh, about eight, eight years ago. And people are doing it because they want to take that back. They want to feel some sort of control. And when you can grow your own vegetables and you can bake your own bread, you have some sort of control over this crazy world that we're living in right now. And so that that's not surprising to me. I think, though, hopefully, because um, I know I am I'm getting tired of, of cooking and, and I, I cook for a living. I'm getting tired of my own food, and I think my family is starting to, too. And so I want to get out there as much as anybody else. But I think it's great that people are actually, um, uh, you know, take, taking that control back, but also realizing, you know, the importance of someone who's cooking your food or someone who's bagging your groceries or someone who is doing those, those, those jobs that people didn't think of so much. They were kind of those, you know, well, that person's doing it, that's great. And, and now they become so important. Um, and so I, I think that's a, um, a trend that I think we're going to I think continue seeing. You know, there was a big trend, even though more people care about food, more people are going to restaurants. But there has been a trend over the last 10 years where people are, are cooking less and less at home. And so hopefully um, that trend will come back. And, and I think there's a good reason for that, because the more that people can cook for themselves and cook for their families, the healthier people are going to be. And that's something that I think we need to touch on here. Um, and especially when we talk about hunger. Um, um, I listened into the last conversation. Um, I am a, a, a hunger anti-hunger activist. My, my wife uh, uh, co-directed a film called A Place at the Table that talked about hunger in this country. But underlying hunger and underlying so many problems that we have in this country, um, food justice is one of them. And being able to actually take that, that back and so you can grow healthy food for your family or you have access to healthier food for your family, it's really important because we see the people who are dying uh, because of COVID. It's the people who have comorbidities, uh, and usually obesity is one of those, um, and malnutrition is another. And so we need to, to sort of have a, a, a deeper conversation about how we can make the country healthier, how we can create incentives. And when I say incentives, meaning that healthy food becomes less expensive. Um, and that's the conversation we have, that we need. We have a, a question from a viewer here from um, Sandra Stevenson from Maryland. Uh, she's asking you, um, what do you see the, the single biggest issue that the hospitality in, industry faces now? 
Um, and can the government, you know, what can the government do uh, to, to help restaurants sustain and recover? Right. Well, right now, again, uh, you know, we're, we're closed. We, restaurants were forced to, 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 to close. Um, and uh, so we need, we need help. Um, that aside, uh, one of the bigger issues that, that we're all starting to, that we've all have been grappling with uh, for, for years now is just the, the racial inequity in restaurants. Um, the lack of capital what do you, to minorities. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Racial sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, minorities have a, a much more difficult time accessing capital, so they can open restaurants. Uh, fewer people will invest in those restaurants, um, and I don't think that for a long time journalists um, have actually uh, focused on, on on amplifying the stories of, of immigrants, uh, uh, black-owned businesses, black-owned restaurants, and so. Uh, our industry is grappling with that, just like the just like the country is grappling with that right now. Uh, so I think that's an, another big uh, big issue. Sandra, I thank you for that, for that question. And um, you know, since you are the top chef, uh, we were interested in if you're an amateur gardener, what are the three what are three herbs that you would say that people should grow? Because all these people are out there trying, yeah. you know, digging dirt for the time. What do you well, really need? What are they're three all they're all really easy, but you know, keep, keep yeah. So keep in mind things like thyme. Uh, you plant that once and it comes back; it's a perennial, so we'll keep coming back. Basil, um, every year you're going to have to replant it. Same thing with coriander or cilantro. Um, but uh, I you know I have thyme and sage and basil and tarragon. Um, uh, there's a couple types of basil in there. Um, you don't need a ton of herbs. I I I, I think. More than often, I think I use thyme more than any other herb. Um, that said, um, I love pesto as much as, as the next Italian. <laughs> and, uh, um, and so I make sure there's plenty of basil in the garden so I can make pesto. When, if you had a crystal, when do you think will strands blossoming? That means not half capacity or, or shut. When do you think we're gonna see restaurants as they were in America at the beginning of the year? I, I think we're gonna need a vaccine. Um, we, we need a vaccine. Um, that's when I think people will feel 100% safe. I mean, think about this. Restaurants, we all think in terms of restaurants as the a la carte dining tables and chairs. A lot of restaurants have private dining rooms. Um, in most cases, um, for instance, one of my restaurants, 60% of our revenue came from private parties. That's not coming back soon at all. I'm talking about you know large weddings and bar mitzvahs and uh, office events, closing dinners, and things like that. Um, that's not that's, the restaurant was attached to a conference center. Those conferences aren't aren't coming back anytime soon. Um, uh, we need a vaccine, um, and that's that's what's what's going to help. Um, so, Mary, if I if I may, because again, I listened to that conversation about about hunger, and um, you know, Senator Coons was was so eloquent in talking about some of the issues around hunger, um, and he did point out that 38 million Americans uh, were on SNAP or food stamps before the pandemic. And, and Jose was pretty accurate that we, we double that. I, I know that in Maryland alone, and this goes back to, I think, God had almost two months ago, they saw a 71% increase in applications. So yeah, so what are we aspiring to at the end of this? Are we gonna aspire to go back to 38 million people that are on, on SNAP? And, and so, no, that's not it. And so, you know, as, as anti-hunger activists, you know, I, I, I lobbied strongly when I was part of the, the, the food policy action about making SNAP more robust, but, but quite frankly, we need to aspire to less SNAP. And when I say that, meaning that fewer people need it and fewer people need it because they're making more money. 
And so we actually need to start talking about wages in this country, how to get minimum wage way up. Um, it's, you know, anyone who's working a full-time job in this country should be able to support their family and put food on the table. And that's just not true right now. You know, keep in mind that 50%, 50% of Americans receiving SNAP has a family member working full-time. And so- it's, a, it's an incredible statistics that we've heard today, but just let me ask you the last short question because we're past our time. You know, they often say, it's a shame to waste a crisis. Um, you should use a crisis to fix something. Sure. So one thing, Tom, in, in food, what would you fix? Um, what, as the country uh, gets through this, what do you hope on the other side is a, that we're in a better place on regarding food? Well, number one, the conversation that you had earlier about the FEED Act, um, one issue with the FEED Act is the Stafford Act. The Stafford Act actually gives jurisdiction of over uh, emergency situations to states and, and, and local governments, and, and that's fine because most disasters are localized. It doesn't work when you have a national pandemic. And so, so the Stafford Act, I think, needs to be repealed or, or at least sort of uh, rejiggered re, re because it doesn't work in a pandemic. We need to have this plan in place going forward. All the work that Jose is doing right now, which is amazing work, um, is going to be for naught if we don't actually get our arms around this and have a government that thinks long term about the solutions to some of these problems, not short term. We can't wait for the pandemic to hit. We can't wait for the hurricane to hit to say, oh, we have to do something. We have to have a plan that very, very quickly you can put in place so we don't see these lines. And what I'm hoping, and this is what I'm hoping, again, that the people who never thought in their life that they would be in a two-hour line or even a 10-minute line waiting for a food bank to give them food. People who had jobs two months ago, three months ago, who never thought about it. I hope now that they have more empathy for the person who actually needs help. You know, we have to get away from this. Someone just made bad decisions and they shouldn't have had children and they should take their own responsibility. And I hope, I hope now that after this pandemic, we're gonna have a more empathetic country who can actually look at some of these problems that we have and find solutions as, a point, as opposed to just blaming people. A lot of people right now are hurting for no fault of their own. And a lot of people who are born into poverty are hurting because of no fault of their own. It's just a, well, a, a bad luck of the draw. And I think we need to have a more empathetic country. When it comes to food, we need to make healthier food more affordable. If we could do that, we'll have a healthier nation. Well, thank you, Tom Colecchio. It's been wonderful talking to you. Um, what a program, what an important discussion. The, the lines that we're seeing um, at food banks are, are disturbing and the numbers are incredible for hungry Americans. I'm delighted that we had Senator Coons, uh, Chef Jose Andres, and of course, Tom Calacchio today to talk about hunger in America um, Mary, and what like, we can do. Thank you like very to, much. Um, and I'd like to thank you and the Washington Post for, for, for shining a light on this issue. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.